1: It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps.
0: On December 1st, 1948, two teenagers riding horses along the beach in Glenelg, Australia, came across a shocking sight. Lying right there in the sand was the corpse of a well-dressed man. It looked as though he'd simply laid down for a rest and died peacefully in his sleep. But when police arrived and began examining the body a baffling and disturbing mystery began to take shape. The man had no obvious signs of trauma, someone had cut all the tags out of his clothing, and, most puzzling of all, he had a tiny slip of paper sewn into a hidden pocket in his pants, which simply read, Taman should." The phrase, mystifying to investigators at first, is Persian for, it is finished. The slip of paper was torn from a rare edition of poems by the 12th century writer Omar Khayyam. With only eerie bits of evidence left behind and nothing to tell police who he was or how he died, authorities launched a massive inquest. But every break in the case only brought new questions, each more chilling than the last. When they found the man's abandoned suitcase, for example, it seemed to connect to a different person altogether. And when police found the book from which the Taman Chud paper was torn, they discovered fragments of an unbreakable code, and a phone number that led to a mysterious stranger. Meanwhile, the bewildered coroner still failed to identify a cause of death. As loose ends like these continued to pile up, the Taman Chud case grew into a mystery that has now remained positively bewildering for over 50 years. To this day, sleuths, both amateur and professional, have plenty of theories, and some believe that it's still possible to finally solve the case. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm all this interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. Today, we're delving into the baffling and unsolved murder of the Tama and Chud case. November 30th, a number of passerbys noticed a man lying, his head propped up against a seawall, on Somerton Beach in Glenelg, just south of the city of Adelaide. Most simply dismissed him as a drunk who dozed off. One couple remembers that his right arm jerked up awkwardly when they crossed his path around 7pm, which they took for his drunken attempt to smoke a cigarette. 30 minutes later, another couple noticed him lying still seemingly undisturbed by the mosquitoes that buzzed in the air they too believed he must have been rather intoxicated the next morning two teenage jockeys in training trotted by on horseback one of them later described seeing the man on the beach saying he was dressed in a suit i think it was a brown suit if i remember right his face was straight up looking at the sky lying on his back They went on their way, but when they passed him again soon afterward, they saw that he was lying motionless, in exactly the same position. It was then that they decided to see if he was okay, and found that he was, in fact, dead. To the police who descended on the scene, a couple of things seemed immediately odd about the dead man, soon dubbed the Somerton Man. At the time, it was not uncommon to find bodies on the beach, Police sometimes came across people who had died by suicide or from drinking too much, but this man seemed different. For starters, he was perfectly dry. He hadn't washed up from the sea, and police could find no obvious marks of violence on his body, no stab wounds, no bullet holes, and no bruises around the man's neck. A cigarette lay nestled in his shirt collar as if it had fallen peacefully from his mouth, but neither the man's shirt nor his cheek seemed scorched. Besides being dead, in fact, he seemed perfectly normal. The Somerton man appeared to be between 40 and 50 years old, stood almost six feet tall, and had gray-blue eyes and reddish-brown hair that had started to turn gray. He looked, thought the pathologist, John Cleland, possibly British. As Cleland said at the inquest, quote, "...the deceased to me looked like a European." I would say he looked very much like a Britisher. His hair was brushed back from the forward and there was no part in it." The only slightly unusual thing about his body was that he had well-defined calves and wedge-shaped toes, which led some to believe that he might be a dancer. The man's clothing only offered more puzzles. All of the tags had been cut off, leaving investigators only able to guess at their origins. He wore a white shirt and a thin red tie, brown pants that had been repaired with a small amount of orange thread, a brown sweater, and a brown coat that a local tailor said seemed American. In his pockets, investigators found a railway ticket to Henley Beach, a bus ticket to North Glenelg, an American metal comb, a packet of juicy fruit gum, a pack of British cigarettes that contained a different brand of Scottish cigarettes and a packet of Bryant and May matches. They did not find a wallet, money, or any kind of identification. What's more, the coroner simply could not determine how the Somerton man had died. His pupils were small, he had spittle on his face, his spleen was enlarged, and his liver was engorged with blood. Investigators suspected he'd been poisoned, but tests revealed no traces of anything in his blood. Then, police found his suitcase, which had been left at an Adelaide train station on November 30th. It contained the distinctive orange thread used to repair his pants, an American-style coat, a stencil kit, a table knife, and more clothing. Some of the clothing was missing its tags. Other items seemed to belong to a T. Keen, but police could find no one by that name. Because there were no missing people with that last name, Keene, Police suspected that perhaps the clothing came from a second-hand shop, or, more ominously, that the man's killer had left the tags because they were unrelated to the dead man's identity, like a red herring. In all, they were left with a wealth of belongings, but not a single one that shed any light on the mystery. Finally, the most puzzling clue of all, and the one that would come to define the case, arrived four months later. In April 1949, A new search of the Summerton man's possessions uncovered a small pocket sewn into the waistband of his pants. Possibly meant to hold a watch, it only held a small strip of paper that bore just two words. Taman should. The words Taman should were soon discovered to be Persian for it is ended or it is finished. Then, investigators linked this specific text to a scrap torn from a 12th century book of poetry called The Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. At first, the paper seemed to help clear things up, as the translation led some to suspect that the man on the beach had killed himself. Indeed, Cleland, the pathologist, noted, quote, I think the words were put there deliberately and indicated the intention that he was fed up with things, unquote. Another detective later explained the meaning of the poem in full, telling an inquest, quote, The poem itself simply means that we know what this world has in store for us, but we do not know what the other world has in store, and while we are on this earth, we should enjoy life to the fullest, and when it is time for us to pass on, pass on without any regrets. But the mystery of the poem only deepened when no one was able to track down the book from which it had been torn. Although police scoured the country for a copy of the book of poems, they could not find one that matched the distinctive font found on the paper in the Somerton man's pocket. That is, until a man named John Freeman simply walked into a police station and handed them one. On July 23, 1949, a man gave Adelaide detectives the book they'd been looking for, complete with On Should torn out from the last page. However, Freeman denied that he knew anything about the body on the beach. He claimed that someone had left the book in his car back in December, and, until he read about the case, he'd assumed that it had been left by someone in his family. Freeman offered detectives no further information. But if police hoped that the book would solve the case, they were, sadly, mistaken. Within its pages, they only found more mysteries to solve. Detective Sergeant Lionel Lean found fake marks which he couldn't quite make out and a telephone number written in pencil. The number led to a young nurse named Jessica Ellen Jo Thompson. Thompson, who went by the pseudonym Justin until 2013 because she asked police not to release her full name or even keep it in the record lived near where the Somerton man was found. Police thought they'd finally come across a break in the case when she admitted that she'd given a copy of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam to a young man she'd once known. Thompson even gave them his name, Alfred Boxall. Police believed that they'd identified the Somerton man at long last, but investigators soon found Boxall alive and well he even still had the book that Thompson had given him, complete with her inscription. Hopeful that Thompson knew more than what she was saying, police brought her to see a plaster cast they'd made of the Somerton man's face, Lean recalled that she seemed, quote, completely taken aback, to the point of giving the appearance she was about to faint, unquote. But, still, Thompson denied that she'd known him. Next, Lean examined the faint marks he'd noticed in the book, Using ultraviolet light, he made out what appeared to be a code, five lines of jumbled letters scrawled into the book in which the second line was crossed out. But he couldn't crack it. Even Naval Intelligence in Australia took a look, but deemed the code unbreakable. With nothing left to investigate, the body of the Summerton man was buried in nineteen forty nine. But the mystery hardly ended there. A witness in the 1950s claimed that they saw a man carrying another man on his shoulder on Somerton Beach on November 30th. Could it have been one drunk, helping another? Or the Somerton man's killer, finishing up the job? was the Somerton Man. The question has long gone without an answer, but in the last 50 years since he died on the beach, a couple of theories have emerged. One theory says that the Somerton Man was some kind of spy, citing the mysterious unbreakable code found in the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. After all, who would have written that but someone who needed to communicate in secret? Then, there was the lack of clues among the Somerton Man's possessions. He carried no identification and the tags on his clothing were cut off, common tactics and espionage, tradecraft. Meanwhile, his belongings presented a puzzling mismatch of British, American, and Scottish items, suggesting that he was someone who traveled often. And then there was the best candidate for his cause of death, a poison that leaves no trace. One professor involved in the investigation suggested two poisons that could kill quickly and then disappear from the bloodstream digitalis, and strophanthin. And who would know about such poisons and where to get them but a spy? Perhaps most damningly of all, no one, despite the wide circulation of the man's image and story, ever came forward to claim that they knew him. That might suggest that, if not a spy, he was at least involved in some kind of underworld activities. Another theory revolves around the mysterious Jessica Ellen Jo Thompson, This theory states that Thompson was either the ex-lover of the Somerton Man or someone who had a hand in his death. After all, Thompson seemed to give out copies of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam to men she knew, and the Somerton Man did die near her home. After she died in 2013, her daughter Kate claimed that her mother had known the identity of the Somerton Man, but had decided not to reveal it. Kate also suggested that both the Somerton Man and her mother could have been Soviet spies, noting that her mother had a, quote, dark side, a very strong dark side, unquote. But it's also possible that the Somerton Man loved Thompson and was rejected by her. Possibly, Thompson and the Somerton Man might have had a romantic relationship. Possibly, he fathered her son Robin, who some say bear a striking resemblance to the Somerton Man, and who even grew up to be a ballet dancer. Possibly, following some kind of romantic estrangement, the Somerton Man tried to win Thompson back but failed, so he decided to kill himself on the beach near her home. Despite a wealth of theories like these, the mystery has endured for half a century, but current technology now offers a tantalizing chance to identify the Somerton man for good. His body was exhumed in May 2021 in hopes of testing it for DNA. As the Attorney General of South Australia, Vicki Chapman, said in a statement, quote, For more than 70 years, people have speculated who this man was and how he died. It's a story that has captured the imagination of people across the state and indeed across the world but I believe that, finally, we may uncover some answers." Since DNA evidence has cracked cold cases like the Golden State Killer investigation in recent years, it's certainly possible that it will help identify the mysterious man found dead on Somerton Beach. For now, though, his grave marker says it all. It reads, Here lies the unknown man who was found on Somerton Beach. Maybe he was a spy. Maybe he was a spurned lover. But until the Somerton man offers up more clues to his identity, he'll remain unknown and the haunting figure at the shadowy center of one of the most puzzling mysteries of the 20th century.
1: Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring.
0: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charles, with your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into